Hello, friends. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. This is episode 265. We have quite a few folks who come to us. They jump on our forums and they ask for a specific kind of help. It's a common ask. And the help or the question is, I'm stuck on something. I'm stuck. I have a habit. I have an addiction. And they want to talk through it. And it's such a common request. And there's so many variations to this. I know when you think about addiction, there's probably some of the more significant addictions that any that would come to anyone's mind. But addictions are all over the map. And we all have an addiction, meaning we all have a bad habit. We have a pattern of doing things that are not good, aren't right, don't spread God's fame, don't benefit those in our sphere of influence, it's detrimental to our souls. It might not be one of those big sensational addictions that we tend to think about, but we have those little annoying habits in our lives that we want to, I hope we want to shake ourselves from and to be free from. And so that type of request is so common. I thought that it would be a good idea just to write out, build out some show notes and do this podcast that it will help all of us, no matter what your bad habit is. And so this is episode 265. And if you want to read these show notes, I want you to do that. Our resources are free and you can read them, consume them, and and share them with your friends and use them as talking points in whatever group that you can collect of individuals. If you do the work of disciple-making, then by all means, I want you to share these, uh, use these as homework assignments. My friend Josh came by the house yesterday, and he was uh, talking about, he said, Rick, I know that you're your philosophy of of doing soul care is that you don't put the accent mark on biblical counseling as though only a professional counseling can helps a counselor can help someone but you you want to help everybody to do the work of disciple making and he said someone came to him with a a personal problem and and Josh was thinking about who can I farm him out to and how can I get him some help? And it was as though the Lord spoke to Josh and said, you are the man, you help him. And of course, the guy that was coming to Josh, he said, I, I don't want to talk to a biblical counselor. And so Josh said, I started thumbing through your website and looking for some articles to his specific issue. And he just talked to him, just talked to his friend. And then sometime later, his friend came back and there was some significant transformation in his life. And Josh says, I, I understand the, the focus of your ministry is that you help every man, every woman. You give them practical tools to be able to help each other. Just do basic one another in according to the gifting and the capacity that you have. And so I was rejoicing with him and that testimony of how God used just a regular person, a regular Joe, or in this case, a regular Josh, to help a friend. And that's what we do. And so I want you to use these resources in a similar way. And so you know somebody that has a bad habit. Well, it's you, of course. It's me, it's us. Well, you also have friends who have bad habits, and this may be an excellent homework assignment for them. And so what I want to do is I want to divide this podcast in in half. 
because when you work through a habit, there are two significant parts to it. The first part is the foundation that you lay. And then the second part is the, the, the practical application that flows out of that foundation. And so if you think about a foundation, a worldview, I'm talking about a worldview, and you can think about it like a, a structure. And so your worldview is this structure, and you climb up on top of it and, and stand. You stand or fall depending on the foundation or depending on your worldview. And if your worldview is biblical and you have a solid structure, then what flows out of that will be common sense, rational, logical, biblical applications that flow from that worldview, and and you will be able to make those applications to your life and, God willing, experience transformation. And so in this podcast, what I want to talk about, two parts. Uh, In the first half, I want to lay out this foundation, and then the second part, I have a lot of application questions that I want to ask you, and again, you can copy and paste these from the show notes and use them, or just use the article, just print it off. There's a print button at the bottom of it. You can print it off on your computer and have it and mark it up with your pen, and uh, you'd be good, good to go. And so let's... Let's get into the first part, and I want to start maybe in an unsuspecting place as far as building this structure, this worldview. I want to talk about this idea of of a covenant. A covenant means that you separate from all others and you commit to one, and Christians understand covenant in two particular contexts. They understand covenant as as marriage, the covenant of marriage, and they understand covenant as far as their relationship with the Lord. And again, it means that you commit or you separate yourself from all others and you commit to one. And so in marriage, that makes perfect sense. You separate yourself from from all women and you commit to one. Now, it doesn't mean that you have no interaction with all women in the world. That would be legalistic for one. It would be weird. And by the way, it doesn't even work because you can't extract yourself from all women in the world. And so it doesn't mean that. What it really means is that you will not have love, more love for anyone than your spouse. That's what it means to have a covenant. And so it's not separating from the world because that's not possible. Now, you can see the application here. You can't separate from the world those things that you lost after, whether it's male or female or some other addictive thing. You can't separate from the world. And that's why understanding this idea of covenant is important. Covenant means you will not have more love, in the context of marriage, more than anyone than your wife. Or wife, you will, have more, you will not have more love more than anyone than your, your husband. None of them will gain your affection more than what you have for your spouse. And so this idea of covenant is very important. And, of course, you can draw a solid line to your covenant with the Lord. 
you will have no greater affection for anything else in the world. Again, you're not extracting yourself out of the culture in a legalistic way because that's unreasonable, it's untenable, it doesn't work. You must participate in the culture, but you want to make sure that your covenant is with God, and no one has more power over you than him, and so you don't give yourself up to lesser entities. And so this idea of covenant is is very important. Now, it's also vital to keep in mind where the primary evil is. You see, some people who are stuck in a bad habit, let's say that uh, we have a, a mom that gets angry with a child, and that is the mom's habit. They could very easily say that, well, you make me so angry when this child does this or this child does that then you make me so angry, and that is why I get angry. And if you take a legalistic approach to that, well, if that's true, if the child makes you angry, then you should separate from the child so the child won't make you angry any longer. Do you see how untenable that is? You don't want to tell the mom to do that. But the issue, really, it's not that the child is making you angry. You are choosing anger as a response to something that you don't like in the child. And so the anger has its point of origin in you. The evil is in you, not in the child. And this is what James was talking about in James 1.14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And so if you miss this point, then you will miss the origin of sin. You'll miss its cause. You'll miss where you should place your focus. The wrong-headed perspective is to say that that person out there is the cause of why I do what I do, therefore I must stay away from that person. And that's really not this idea of, of what a covenant is. And so you want to make sure, because look, this is what will happen. It happens so often. If you separate from that thing out there, you haven't cut off, you haven't dealt with the sin, because the lust, the anger, the frustration is in the heart. And so if you separate from that thing out there as though that is the point of origin, guess what? You might not be angry at your child anymore, but you will be angry at somebody else because you haven't done anything really to the anger. I remember a man told me years ago that he gave up pornography and gained 30 pounds. Do you hear what he's saying? He did not fix the problem, but redirected his lust in another direction. The legalists will do similarly. They will say that the sin is out in the culture. They'll cut themselves off from the culture, and they'll go through similar cycles of addiction. Stop. Start, stop, start. 
Anytime you externalize sin's cause as being out there somewhere, you may choose to retreat from all of those temptations while missing the source of the allurement. Now, there is wisdom in separating from specific things or specific people if those things stir up the pre-existing sin in your heart. But if you place the primary accent on that thing, that person, you will miss sin's origin. The point of separating from certain things is because you know what's in your heart and you're going to address what's wrong with you, not what's wrong with that thing or that person out there somewhere. And so you may need to take a time out, Mom. No, don't put the child in time out. Put yourself in time out. But realize that the problem is in you. And so as you move inward, realizing that the fountainhead of all sin, temptation, stumbling blocks rise from the heart and attach themselves to various precious subjects in the culture, then you're in the right place to interact with the problem. It is possible to to mortify your heart idolatries, and you can even engage those former tempting objects in the future. And so, Mom, in this illustration that I'm running with here, you can mortify what's going on in your heart and engage your child Uh, in a way, and then what your child does will not have that much control over you because you have killed the problem, which is what mortify means. You have killed the problem in your heart. Now, alternately, it could be that your mortification will be a lifelong process, meaning that the temptations in your heart will not fully die. You will not be able to eradicate all the all that sin in, in your heart, and you will have to die daily. Mortification will be a lifelong process. So whether you kill it, one and done, which sometimes happens, or you have to mortify, kill it day by day. This second alternative, which I'm sure is not as palatable, but it's an exercise in humility, as well as a process of continual strengthening yourself in the Lord as you lean into Him in your weakness to gain His strength. And you know what God permitted in Paul's life, a thorn in the flesh that was never removed for this very reason, to exercise humility so that he could experience strengthening from the Lord. It's kind of like a recurring skin disease, maybe eczema. You put a topical ointment on the problem, knowing it recurs, and you have to keep applying the medication, but you don't despair because there is a daily cure, though not permanent until you get a new body. And so whether you find a permanent or temporal cure, you do have a prescription. Sometimes our solutions are not how we would prescribe them But the humble heart receives the Lord's mercies with gratitude and active obedience. 
Now, this type of teaching is for those who have ears to hear. And if you do have ears to hear, you're on the path to more extraordinary transformation. And so the first part of the podcast here is about this idea of covenant. You don't necessarily separate from everything in the world. I use the analogy of marriage. You don't separate from all women, but only one woman will have your affection, and she will be higher than anyone else. As far as sin is concerned, whatever your bad habit is, you don't separate, extract yourself from the culture because the lust is inside of you. And so therefore, you you understand that you must have your deepest affection for the Lord and He must have control over you. And so you identify the origin of sin inside the heart. You realize that there's another power that had this exercising strength over you rather than extracting yourself from that. You may have to cut that off, but you you may not. It depends. But you realize the real issue is in your heart and your relationship with the Lord. Now, this is the second part of the podcast, and I want to talk about this idea of active obedience. You see, it's accurate to say that the Lord shapes us into the image of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says that, that we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Passive voice is a passive exercise, is something that God does to us. And there are some people that adhere to passive obedience exclusivity, meaning they don't have to do anything. They don't really hear what James is saying in 122, be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. In the New Testament, you will see both passive obedience and active obedience. And so you want to relish in the truth that God changes you, passive obedience, as he works in you. But we are not inactive recipients of God's transforming power. Active obedience is a thing, too. We have a responsibility before the Lord to work out our salvation, as Paul said in 2.12 of Philippians. My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now. Not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And he goes on to say that's God. God is working in you. And so we have a responsibility not just to relish and to enjoy God's work in our lives as we sit before him with an unveiled face, passively enjoying this internal transformation. We must also, as James says, be doers of the word, work out our salvation. And then James says in 417, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That is a high responsibility on every one of us. If you know what to do and you don't do it, active obedience, then it is sin if you don't do it. And so the remainder of this podcast, I want to speak to the need for the person who is addicted to something. They have a bad habit. The appeal is to respond with humble, unashamed, courageous, active obedience. 
You do this as though your life depends on it. Now, in one sense, your spiritual life does depend on it. You must throw human wisdom and self-reliance to the wind and embrace the radical transforming doctrine of grace as you engage God in a way that changes your life. This is episode 265. The title of it is, Here is Practical Help for Anyone Stuck in a Bad Habit. The first part of the uh, podcast, I was talking about this idea of covenant, and our affection must be to Christ alone, and nothing else should have more affection over our hearts. If something else has more affection over our hearts, we have a bad habit, and the problem is in our hearts, not necessarily in that thing out there. The second part, now you're standing on that structure, you're standing on that worldview. I want to ask you some pointed and direct questions. I'll see if I can get through all of them. There's about 15, maybe, and uh, other questions attached to one question. Sometimes when I ask a question, I'll ask two more in the same train of thought just to make sure that there's clarity of understanding the question. So here goes. Number one, what is the thing that has you stuck in a bad habit? Is it the sensational sins that we tend to think about when we talk about addiction and and, and sin patterns? But, but, but what is it? What is the recurring thing that you do regularly? Maybe it's given to fear, despair, Maybe it's grumbling, gossip. Maybe it's other forms of different forms of anger. Maybe it's some money, binge watching, television, eating too much, hanging out with the wrong people, people having the control over you. There's a long list here. So, what is the thing that has you stuck in a bad habit? And then the follow up who knows about it? and what they have said to you. And it's important that you, if you're serious, and I'm going to go back to what James said in 4.17, if you know to do good and don't do it, then it's, it's sin. And so if you have ears to hear, and, and so someone should know about it, you should appropriately be confessing your sin to one or two people to help you uh, through this. And so what is the thing that you're stuck in? Who knows about it? What have they said to you? Number two. Have you protected yourself from everything that tempts you to sin? What specific thing continues to be in your sphere that you have not cut off? I'm talking about amputation here. So in Matthew 5.30, Jesus says, if your hand offends you, you cut it off. I talked earlier about mortification. That's more in the heart. And I also talked about the child that tempts you to sin where you can't amputate your child, but you do need to create some kind of structure, some kind of way of communicating with this child. If you're addicted to something else, uh, maybe your route on to, to work every day where you pass something uh, that lures you in, then you would amputate, you'd change your route to work. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's an association, a friend that you have where you can amputate that friend. It's not a child. Uh, maybe it's Facebook. Maybe Facebook draws out all this sin in your heart. Maybe you need to amputate that. And so have you protected yourself from everything that tempts you to sin? 
If you have not cut out everything, you're not where you need to be, and you must address it. You must address why that thing is still there. Now, I realize there are situations where you can't, let's say, a bad friend. Let's say you work with someone, and that person is a bad friend, a bad companion, and you see them every day. I had a couple of those at BMW when I worked there 20-something years ago, and I told one friend uh, who loved to talk sensually uh, about the opposite sex, and I just told him that, you know, this doesn't bless me when you talk that way. And he respected it, and he didn't have that conversation anymore. He's he's since passed away. His name's Scott. I have much affection for him, but he respected that. And so, so I wasn't going to cut Scott off, by the way. I, I liked him, actually. I, I liked him a lot. Uh, but I, I didn't care for that kind of language, and he respected me. And so are you cutting everything out from your life? Number three, if you, if you know how to sin and create opportunities to do so, you have enough intelligence and you have enough power to change. You're not a victim because you know how to think about your addiction and put yourself in places where you can enjoy it. I want you to think about that statement for just a second. You see, an addiction takes time. It takes energy. There's an element of work involved in sinning, like premeditation and planning and strategy and intentionality and hiding and secrecy and deception and energy. The habitualized person is not lazy, but a strategist. He can't play the victim card. I'm just a victim. This is something that happens to me. No, there are a lot of elements involved with the person who is in a habituation. He can't say he can't quit because he shows much ability to commit the transgression in the first place. And so the question is, why do you do it? If you have this much energy and this much ability, this much intellectual forethought, are you really serious about changing? And that's a question, that, that's a come-to-Jesus type question there. Number four, assuming you are humble and want to change, what are those plans? What is your strategy? What is the practical input from others? What is the accountability process to maintain the rigors of active obedience? Number five, do you continue to take in more information about your problem when you already know what to do, meaning you're more informational than transformational. Transformational is an active obedience that has outside intervention with friends. You see, some people just want to, I just, I need to read another marriage book. I need to, I need to talk, I need to take, I need to, do you have an article for this? What, do you have a podcast for this? No. Stop. Stop reading. Stop praying. Uh, do something. I, many times we can hide in our informational chambers when what we should be doing is we should jump out of there and get into our transformational chain, uh, chambers and start changing. And so information obviously is good. I'm not poo-pooing that. But the question is, are you more informational than transformational? Maybe it's time to do something and stop talking about it, or maybe stop whining about it. Number six, describe all of your companions. 
not just your friends. Who are your associations? And what are the other means surrounding you that motivate you toward Christ or sin? And so when I say describe all your companions, not just your friends, of course, that includes your associations. It it includes human beings, but also includes other things like your mobile devices and uh, places that you go, that route to work, as I was uh, speaking about uh, earlier. Now, we're at the end of this uh, podcast, and I do, question number seven is uh, here, or it's not a question, it's a statement. Here are a few practical steps in no order of sequence and not mandatory, but merely suggestive. And I have seven steps here, and I won't be able to cover all of these. One of them is like report your ongoing actions to your accountability partner. Number two, if you're married and your relationship is stable enough, key idea, share these things with your spouse. Number three, create structure in your life, like going to bed on time, getting up on time, exercise routine, proper eating habits, proper TV viewing, and social media moderation. I mean, those are just things that are very important, and there's a need to create structure in all of our lives. You want to be spontaneous. You want to be flexible. You won't be able to pivot and be pneumatic in your life. Spontaneity is great. But structure is also very good. And there are a few more things here at the end. This is episode 265. Here is the practical help for anyone stuck in a bad habit. Part one, build that worldview. Part two, get serious. And I trust you have ears to hear. If any of you want to talk about this, please jump on our website. Get on our forums. Let's talk. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.